You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hi, everyone. This is Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez, CEO and founder of the Lioness Group and MG2 Principal. We're here today with George Shaw of Pather, and I'm excited to have a very in-depth conversation about the future of retail and spatial planning. George is the founder and CEO of Pather, a consummate industry veteran working at the intersection of data and engineering. He is a true innovator in the field of spatial analytics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence, and related technology solutions. Prior to founding Pather, a disruptive new pioneer in spatial intelligence space, Shaw had senior positions at Retail Next, Intel, Second Spectrum, Target, and many other leading edge brands, working in the capacities of principal engineer, data strategist, vice president of research and development, technical fellow, and scientific advisor. He serves as an advisor to multiple startup and emerging technology entities and has worked as a senior lecturer and educator. He additionally holds multiple U.S. patents for his inventive work in the areas of retail analytic methodology, customer movement and path analysis, and is a graduate of Boston University and has a master's degree from MIT. So very accomplished and very much uh, an expert in this area. So I'm really excited to dive deep into a conversation with him around spatial analytics and the future of retail. But before I do that, George, can you tell us a little bit more about Pather? Sure. Thanks, Melissa. Pather is a spatial intelligence platform. What that means is we use AI to understand the movements of people through physical spaces to gather information about those movements using existing infrastructure, typically uh, existing surveillance camera, and then to connect that understanding that we've developed using AI to the business cases that the operators of those spaces care about. So an example would be understanding staff and customer interaction in a brick-and-mortar retail store or how customers flow through a, a shopping center like a mall. Great. Well, I can say more than ever, people are going to be talking to you as they refigure out um, what the future of spatial planning looks like in the new norm. Um, tell us a little bit about your customers today and what does the data collection process look like? So most of our customers are in brick and mortar retail. Um, retailers use our platform to understand how their customers and staff move through their spaces. Um, like I, I gave an example of customer and staff interaction or how staff is restocking or manning the cash wrap or uh, use cases like that. Um, we also work with mall operators to understand flow through their space um, comprehensively. Um, And in both of those cases, we use existing surveillance cameras. We run computer vision on the feeds of those cameras. This can be many cameras. Uh, Many malls have two or 300 cameras that cover the entire space. So we run computer vision on those feeds in order to track the locations of people anonymously. People are just moving dots on a floor plan to us. There's no personally identifiable information in there. But then using those moving dots on the floor plan, that's where we can address the the business cases that folks care about, you know, how many customers. Customers are flowing through a space uh, in a mall. Which customers are passing by certain stores? Are they going into those stores? Uh, and so on and so forth. 
So one of the questions we often get when it comes to computer vision and even when people use trackers um, by pinging cell phone and MAC addresses, scam, uh, scrambling, how do you account for accuracy? Um, how do you account for duplicate information? How do you kind of normalize? So we think about accuracy and precision as being two separate things. And, and when you're doing wireless tracking, you don't struggle with accuracy. You know it's the same person. It, you know that there's a person there because you're seeing a ping from their phone. But the precision is usually pretty bad. Um, you don't know exactly where that person is. When you're using computer vision, it's sort of the opposite. The computer vision can make mistakes, um, so it might think there's a person there when there's not, or it, it, there are certain mistakes that it can make. But once you know that somebody's there, you know exactly where they are. So it's very, very precise. So those two channels are kind of different. We think of them as, as two different channels. Since we use mainly computer vision, we're focused on making the computer vision better so that the accuracy stays really good. Uh, you don't lose people. You don't swap people. You can track people from camera to camera. Um, and then you, of course, like I said, the, the precision is usually very, very high. You know exactly where they are. So that's what lets us do things like understand interactions between people or behavior like uh, reaching out and touching a shelf and so on. So, um, okay, so you spoke about the way you kind of set up is through existing surveillance cameras, especially when you're working with mall developers. Is it the same approach with brand and retailers? And how do you guide them for that setup process? Like, are you recommending hardware to them? Um, how, how are you? Because one of the things is, I don't think there's been a lack of interest of wanting to integrate to collect this data, but there's been some hurdles around kind of how do I get up and running? So we, we actually are able to accept tracking or location data from any source. So if a retailer is already up and running with some kind of a tracking technology, there's lots of them out there, um, stereoscopic cameras that are purpose built for that, wireless tracking. Um, other forms of tracking, we're able to integrate with any of those. But if a retailer doesn't have any kind of tracking, um, they, they don't have anything in place already, the sort of smoothest path to get up and running is to use their existing surveillance feeds. So we go and, and run software either at their location or in the cloud that takes that feed, runs the computer vision, integrates across cameras, uh, and then generates those moving dots on the floor plan. The integration process is usually um, you know, fairly straightforward from that perspective because it's just software. We don't put any new hardware. We're able to work with just about any camera. We, we've seen one or two cameras that, that are a little bit old for us to be able to work with, um, but typically we can work with just about anything that's out there. That's great. And how long does it take you to get a brand retailer mall developer up and running on average? It'll depend on the number of cameras, but it's usually very fast, um, measured in hours, not days or weeks. Amazing. So how do you analyze data? What are, um, what are the steps and, and, and kind of how do you work as a partner to, to your clients? You know, I think everybody values data, but it's the contextualizing of that data. That's the bigger hurdle. So how are you a partner in that aspect? I think you nailed it with the contextualizing of the data. That's what's really important. And so it's it's always a conversation with us. You know, we don't just dump a big pile of data onto our customers. We generate that location data, and then we immediately start a conversation about the things that they care about in their business. What are the levers that they can pull? What are the the metrics that that are going to be important to them? What's their their sort of selling model? What's their how does their business really operate? So we spend a lot of time you know, asking those kinds of questions, so that we can build machine learning that takes in. In that that tracking data, that location data, and actually produces the results that they care about. 
no no customer of ours has ever said, please give me more data. You know, I, I want more stuff in my spreadsheets. What they really say is, give me more answers. I want to know the answer to this question and this question. And so we tease out those questions. We build technology in order to specifically address those questions. Great. So that's one of your starting points is do you, from day one, do you say to them, like, how collaborative is that? What do you want to answer for? Um, or do you kind of guide that process completely? We, we like it to be very collaborative. That's the ideal scenario for us. And that can be a short process or a long process. I mean, it can be one conversation or it can be many. There can be one stakeholder or there can be many. Um, but we try not to be too prescriptive and say, here's what you need, because we don't know their business as well as they do. So you know, we want the technology to move to meet them where they are rather than them having to adapt to our technology. That being said, we can we can produce some really basic results really easily, and so we, we'll typically start there as a, as a way to start the conversation. Here's a heat map. Here's a couple of real simple metrics, and then that sort of gets the conversation started about the things that they really care about. And who are you most likely intersecting with on, on the brand or retailer side? Are you talking with the merchandising team? Are you talking with the IT team? Are you talking to biz dev? What are what are the most successful partnerships? That's been really interesting. As we started the the company, we sort of had this hunch that what we were building was going to be applicable to lots of different stakeholders in in our customer organizations. And so far, that's been really true. I mean, we we spend a lot of time with store operations, and, and you know there are certain use cases that they care a lot about. But there are other things that loss prevention cares a lot about: marketing, merchandising, store design. And there's there's sort of something for everybody in the kind of technology that we do, um, because we're really focused just on how people move through that space, and those people moving through that space are are sort of fundamental to most functions in in our customer organizations. Great. I know that that's always a tricky thing to navigate, making sure you're kind of connected with the appropriate parties, that they're all talking to each other and everybody's taking the learnings and making them actionable. Um, What are some of the key learnings of recent? Any key themes you can point out, any proof points, uh, maybe from recent case studies? Yeah, I think some of the some of the customer and staff interaction, um, the, the the patterns and and what the data has has told us and has told our customers has been really interesting around where staff is spending the most time. Um, they'll tend to interact with customers around products that they like and that they enjoy, which is not always what the retailer wants to have happen. Um, we'll understand which interactions lead to sales, which interactions lead to higher higher dollar amount sales, which has also been interesting for our customers. And then sort of on uh, in another area of what we do, um, we've spent a lot of time with our customers understanding shopping groups. So they'll know how many people come in, but they won't know what that shopping group looks like. If 100 people walk in your door, those 100 people are not all eligible to make a purchase. That might be families of four or uh, you know different shopping units or something like that. So we spent some time with that. Um, and then as well as, as different checkout analytics, helping them understand, you know, sort of the throughput of their different checkouts. And, you know, this will vary, of course, by customers and what their, what their checkout and cash wrap process kind of looks like. Uh, but we've spent a lot of time with some of those things as well. So it's interesting you bring up checkout because I strongly believe that that checkout experience is going to be one of the areas that most rapidly evolves um, based on, you know, kind of the forced adoption of contactless payments and mobile payments. And so the checkout experience will differ. What what are what are your thoughts around, you know, how you see areas like that evolving in the store and especially as you're helping brands with uh, floor planning? Well, I think the the 
big obvious direction is autonomous checkout where you have the ability to go and and check out and without you know any process at all uh, like an Amazon Go type of a model there are other other companies that are doing that uh, but I think that'll be applicable in certain retail environments and there are lots of others where that won't be a thing and in those cases I think it's a question of smoothing that checkout process you know nobody wants to wait in line nobody wants that process to be long and painful but even if you if you have to go through the checkout process it can actually be enjoyable you can spend a little bit of time with a store associate get your stuff bagged up the way you want it bagged up um, and so I think those those processes will evolve to better suit the customer and I see technology playing a, a pretty strong role there you know, like I say, nobody wants to wait in a line. I think that's a that's a problem that technology can help to solve, and and there are others like that. How do you um, beyond the checkout? Um, and we are in early stages of this, but how do you see the store layout as a whole kind of evolving um, post COVID nineteen? Um, and how do you see your data being able to help retailers achieve that? I think r- retailers are are suddenly very very focused on how people move through their space because they're they're focused on social distance and is there enough room for people to navigate my space without contacting each other is there six feet between customers um, and and so I think people are focused on that not just retailers but in in all areas everybody's thinking about social distance and how people can move through their space um, and then technology like ours is is really powerful in understanding that flow and understanding you know how to create more space and so, you know, I see a world where there are data-driven store layouts, there are data-driven optimizations. You can look at what the data is telling you and, and use that in order to move a fixture, in order to change, you know, how you build out a, a particular store design. Um, there, are, there are a lot of areas where data can, can really inform, you know, how we lay out stores. So just to get a little, um, I guess, basic, right? Like, can you map out kind of, you know, what are maybe three steps that you that you would take um, to help y- your data help your clients achieve some of those needed changes? Yeah, well, what we do is we will typically start out with a, a really basic flow through a space. So we'll take a floor plan and we'll we'll build a model. It's a statistical model based on how people flow through spaces in general. We'll build that model for a particular space, which gives you a sense of without knowing what my customers are doing, what they're shopping for or whatever, this is how people in general flow through that space. Then we start to inform that model using actual data. So we we take the video that we've collected, we we do the tracking, we build the location data sets, and then that location data set informs how our artificial customers move through that space in order to understand how real customers will actually flow. And then we can use that to try different optimizations. Now we have a a statistical model of customers moving through your space and we can make changes to that space. We can understand why they're moving the way they're moving and we can hope to influence that in in different ways, either to improve sales or, or to increase social distance or whatever the metrics are that you might care about. When you talk about increasing um, social distance, right now what people are doing is kind of watching the category, especially grocery shops, because they're the one area that's been able to stay open through all of this and people kind of watching what's happening there to learn how should they approach going forward. Um, Is that an area you guys are watching and what do you think of that? 
Yeah, we're watching it really closely right now. What I'm seeing happening now is a lot of grocery and, and drugstore retailers um, wanting to limit the number of customers in their space. And then what they're doing is they're using the fire code as a starting point. The fire code says you need about 30 square feet per person. So if you have a 1,500 square foot store, you, you can you can fit about 500 people in there. Um, and then what they're doing is they're saying, well, let me cut that in half. Now I need more social distance. There, you know, we li- we're living through a pandemic. We need more space between people. So let's cut that down to 250 people and we'll limit the space that way. And that's a really kind of blunt force way to do it. Um, And what I think is a much better way to understand how many people can fit in your space is the kind of modeling that we do. So we're out um, bringing this technology to, to different retailers that are open currently to say, rather than using the fire code and cutting that in half, now you've, you've just taken a, a, a really rough estimate and cut that in half for sort of arbitrary reason. Let's actually use data. Let's figure out how many people can safely fit in your space and then use that as a way to, to limit the number of people that are coming in. And then taking that one step further, Let's optimize your space, either really simply put some arrows on the floor, some other kind of wayfinding, or let's move some things around in the space to increase flow so that you can increase the number of traffic, uh, the number of customers, or so that you can improve the safety of the customers that you are allowing in. And you can get a brand retailer, developer, you know, clients up and running pretty quickly, you said, hours, not necessarily days sometimes. But on the flip side, how long do you feel it takes to collect actionable data, like enough data that you're able to make some of those recommendations you just spoke about? We can, we can make very simple recommendations very, very quickly. If we, if we just look at a floor plan and we run our models on any given floor plan, because we know so much about how shoppers move through stores already, uh, we can come back with some really high-level answers almost instantly. Then when we want to get into more granular answers and, and, you know, sort of add more statistical power to that, we collect more and more data. I mean, you typically want at least a week. So you have every day of the week represented, you know, how people flow on a Saturday versus on a Tuesday. And then as you get up to a month, you, you'll have multiple instances of each day of the week. So you get more power there. Um, and then, you know, you can keep collecting this kind of data forever and things will grow and change over time. So there's really no no upper limit to how much data you might want to collect. But I, I think to answer your question, we, we can start almost instantly and then build from there. That's amazing. A week is pretty pretty fast, especially with things changing as quickly as they are today. I think people are hoping that they can get insights, you know, as efficiently as possible. A lot of the data you talk about is around the way customers move. Um, how do you see the role of store associates evolving? Yeah, we we also look at store associates in our in our data sets. We differentiate um, customers and and staff, so we're understanding how they're moving as well. Um, one of the outcomes of that is to better optimize their movements so that they're being more efficient, more optimal. This is a benefit to the retailer, but it's also a benefit to the staff member because they're spending less time doing the sort of more mundane tasks. You know, those things are you know you're you're kind of calling the the best play on the field. You know, I, I like the sports analogy, and when you call that best play, it allows you to to turn your focus to the things that that might be more interesting or more valuable and so what that ultimately means is that store associates will spend more time interacting with customers doing the things that customers really care about creating a better experience for the customers but i think that's also a better experience for the associates and and a better experience for the brand so 
This provides great insights by tracking customers, by seeing the role of the store associate, its impact, its evolution. Spatial planning is going to be more important than ever. What do you think will help adoption? Um, because again, it hasn't been a lack of interest on the brand retailer side. It's been, it's been pricing, it's been IT infrastructure, it's been the ability to get up and running. So what do you think um, the industry can do, partners like you, to help adoption move forward? Well, I firmly believe that it's up to us technologists to produce better technology in order to help that adoption. And I mentioned I don't want my customers to have to adapt to my technology. I want my technology to adapt to them. So that's things like being able to deploy really quickly using their existing infrastructure. So if you have a whole set of cameras, we're not telling you to put in another whole set of cameras. We're saying we'll use the ones that you already have and our technology will adapt to that. Um, that's adapting the outputs and the and the sort of results that we give, so not giving you a bunch of metrics that you don't understand and don't care about, but giving you the answers that you really need. And I think that that kind of ethos spans across all different technologies, whether it's technologies for retail or or whatever the the market might be. The technology has to adapt, and that'll help adoption. You know that that'll help people sort of bring the technology into their environment because it's just much easier. I don't need new cameras. I don't need new infrastructure. The technology will do all the work and it'll just give me the answer. It should it should just sort of fade into the background, but be there and, and be vital. I agree. Technology is a tool. It's a powerful tool. Um, but we yeah, we have to get past these hurdles of integration because I do think that the industry needs it now more than ever. Um, so thanks for all those insights. It was great speaking about kind of how you work and, and how you see the store layout evolving. Right now, um, we can't travel. And so what I like to do is always wrap up these conversations with what's going to happen when we can travel. Um, you live in Mountain View area. So on your list, what are the three must things to do or visit the next time somebody can visit your home area? I always recommend when somebody comes to Silicon Valley to do a nerd tour of Silicon Valley. There's way more than three things to see, but you can go see Xerox Park where the GUI and the mouse were invented. You can go see the Hewlett Packard garage where computing ostensibly started. The Intel Museum is fantastic. The Computer History Museum. There's there are all the big tech headquarters here. So there's lots of really fun tech nerd stuff around Silicon Valley to go see. Well, I look forward to geeking out with you and things are better. It'll be uh, the Hollywood Hills uh, bus tour version (laughs) (laughs) uh, of Silicon Valley. Um, Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. This is Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Thanks so much to George Shaw for joining us today from Pather. And we look forward to following um, up with what you're doing in the future. Thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot, Melissa. Appreciate it.